Hi, this is Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and publisher of Heavy Metal Magazine. The only thing I like more than Justin Bieber is Sci-Fi Saturday Night. We will begin in mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you can be so easily! It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that we will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Bye by Saturday night. In, in fairness to Kevin Eastman, I do believe Justin Bieber is the name of his dog. But uh, in any case, from an alternate universe dog and monkey dexterity facility on sub-level 9 in Area 51, welcome to TalkCast 310, this week's edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Enjoying a book that has coffee in it because I needed coffee badly tonight. I am the Dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight... Some of the Gang of Five in the Acton Tardis Polishing Plant, Technical Anarchist Kriana. Yep. From the stacks of her personal space in the Dank Dungeons Industrial Card Catalog, Friend of Robots Everywhere with her nemesis, the mute button. It's Zombrary and hopefully feeling a little better. <coughs> <laughs> Evidently not. Oh, Lord. Timing is everything. Returning from a three-week retraining at the uh, Simi Valley Tin Smelting Adventure Camp and Taxidermy Sanctuary, it's Awake by Java. 16.4 inches. Which is? That's how big the screen is. In Holy the crap, line. that's a big screen. For a car, yeah. Yeah, I, the, the one that we had was a, I, I believe, a much smaller one. But it's actually got two of them. In tandem or second and third row? Uh I think they're uh, in second and third row, and then there's also then there's also a big display up in the front. For which is really good if you're driving and you're you're like have bad peripheral vision, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our guest tonight is author Scott Thomas. Scott, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Glad to be here. Thank you, Doom. Oh, I can't imagine why you'd be glad to be here unless you actually haven't listened to any of the other shows. But you may know Scott as a writer of otherworldly fiction and one of the writers in the Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family. Let's talk for a little bit, before we get started with anything else, about uh, you were our stretch goal in My Peculiar Family. And, yeah. and we made it, <laughs> which was a great thing. Uh, so let's talk about was. what, what, how that story came about for you. Well, uh, uh, keeping in mind with the premise of the anthology, I uh, keyed off the uh, the picture I was sent. And we just lost. The 
The wireless okay. customer you are calling is not available. Please try again later. Hmm. Well, that was a good show. Six minutes in and already stymied by technology. Uh, Hello? You're back. Sorry about that. <laughs> Technology is a fickle bitch, let me tell you. That was my shoulder. Okay, sometimes it's physiology as well as technology. Anyhow, <laughs> yes. we, we were talking about your first time looking at the picture and where it took you. Yes, I, it was a, a very good uh, uh, picture to work with. It was a, a, a sort of menacing-looking woman. Uh, I figure probably from the uh, late 1800s by her clothing and what I could uh, gather from looking at the, uh, the image itself. And she looks like someone who's very scary. And, uh, and each of the authors uh, was only provided with a, a, an old tin type photograph and uh, something brief about the, the person to work with. And, and mine was Black Widow. And so combined with that, and uh, the image of this uh, menacing older lady with, with uh, one eye that looks sort of foggy, uh, <laughs> actually. In, in my story, I, I described it as looking like a, 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 a mist grape or something like that. And, uh, and so she made it easy for me to uh, come up with a story for her. Yeah, the, the picture of Agatha that you got was... Yeah. Uh, actually one of my favorite pictures in that mm. it looked like it was very specifically posed and she was just glaring into the camera. It was kind of really cool. Yeah. Yes. It was a, a great, uh, I, I'm glad I got Agatha. I was very happy for, for that. So how long did it take you from the time you actually started focusing on that picture to figure out what you wanted to do with it? Uh, the, the basic premise was pretty immediate, I would say, to look at her and, and what she in, inspired in mind. And I, I, then the details just had to sort of uh, uh, go through whatever particular genesis uh, uh, they, they took. But I ended up uh, approaching it with a very M.R. Jamesian sort of approach. What, does that, what does that mean? Well, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, M.R. James, and so uh, I wanted to do something sort of like an M.R. James story. He's the, considered largely as the uh, master of the subtle Victorian ghost story. So I wanted to do a, a M.R. James sort of uh, subtle but... Uh, creepy story based in New England. There were, yeah, I, I, th I think a lot of those tintypes uh, ended up focusing on 
just incredibly creepy stuff. And I'm not sure how or why it happened. Some of them I didn't think when I was putting this package of, of images together lent themselves to it. And boy, did they take off in directions that I'd never even thought of. I'll be. So how long have you been writing, Scott? And, and, and you, you call yourself a writer of otherworldly fiction. Yes. Well, I've been, I guess it goes back as far as when I was a boy and I, I would, uh, it started out probably with making my own comic books. I uh, I came from a very uh, I come from a very creative uh, family and I I would do artwork and eventually uh, made my own comic books and after uh, a period of time the words uh, took on a life of their own and separated from the <laughs> the uh, comic book art and became short stories and my uh, brother Jeffrey uh, who's also an author he uh, started writing short stories and and uh, I took some inspiration from him and it sort of uh, took off from there. I, I was uh, writing handwritten novels years before I ever had uh, a computer and uh, it's just uh, sort of become my passion. So you, you really seem to have uh, dropped into the, the comfort of the short story format. Uh, so yeah. what is it about that format that, that, that works for you? I like the concentration of it. Uh, all, I have, uh, 10 books out and of my 10 books, there's, there, uh, there's only one novel and, uh, the, and a, a novella and the others are all, uh, short story collections. And even my novel is very much like a, a short story collection almost. It's it's uh, episodic and uh, it's linear, but the different sections of the novel, the, the, some of the story uh, chapters could almost stand as as uh, short stories. I, I prefer short stories in terms of both writing and reading, actually. So it's it seems to have been what works for you, and that's the important thing that you found a, a, a format that that is is comfortable for you. So, what's it, what's it like having a brother who's also a, a writer? It's it's great. Uh, growing up uh, in my family, the uh, imagination in our our play was just uh, amazing. We would come up with complex. Uh, worlds and, and uh, we would our, with our toys we would create uh, recurrent uh, personalities and characters and we'd come up with scenarios and, and there was almost elements of story writing in some of the adventures we would have with our G.I. Joe guys back when the uh, original G.I. Joes were the tall version you know yep. and, uh, and uh, so Jeffrey's always been an inspiration he's in a He's an amazing writer. He's uh, uh, quite well known for his uh, series of stories set in the uh, uh, his fictional world of Punk Town, and uh, he's been published in uh, various uh, different countries. And he's uh, he's just an, an amazing writer. So, what 
aside from the fact that you'd always kind of written, what was it that actually pushed you into the center stage of of bringing it out to the public? At what point did that happen? Gee, uh, I, I first began getting published in the uh, the uh, uh, early and mid nineties when there was a vast and varied, uh, oh gosh, uh, selection of small press publications ranging from uh, photocopied, uh, side-stapled little publications people made in their homes, all the way up to uh, very classy, uh, glossy magazines, and and magazines like uh, Death Realm, uh, for instance. And I, I broke in there. I guess the impulse was, and I don't remember at what point I, I, I felt the urge to have my stuff out in the, in the uh, uh, you know, available to readers. But uh, I, I happened to uh, break in at a time when there was a, a lot of uh, small press, uh, oh, just a, a range of um, different types of magazines, which... Uh, was uh, really cool. And it, it was, was it kind of because it was so not disorganized, but uh, disorganized is really not the term I'm looking for. It wasn't so solidified that you could actually take risks and, and bring stuff out like that? Yes, that's, that's a, a, a good way to put it. There was a, uh, such a, a variety of, of places uh, putting out things. There was uh, there was sci-fi and fantasy, and then there was uh, crossover experimental things. There were uh, some genres that wouldn't have uh, fit in neatly with the commercial mainstream publications. And so it gave creative people a uh, a lot of interesting targets to shoot for. Do you ever look back at some of that really early stuff that you wrote? Because uh, we were actually talking a, co- uh, a couple of weeks back with Rob Smales, uh, who, who's a, a terrific author. And one mm. of the things he was talking about was how his he reads his early stuff and he sees a whole different him back then. Uh, that's a, that's a very good way to, to phrase it. Uh, I'll look back at things and, uh, I suppose there's probably, there's probably some stuff I'd look back at and, and sort of cringe, but, uh, it, it's interesting because, uh, each book, uh, and I, I may have used this analogy recently, uh, to my fiance, I, I said how each book is like a snapshot of a time because I'll look back it's a, I have a, a collection called Westermead. It, it's set in a, a fantastical sort of, uh, it's, it's sort of like Britain in the uh, late 1600s, except there's magic and ghosts and weird creatures. And I was talking about how it's almost like a snapshot of who my, I was in my identity at that time, how I was, uh, the type of music I was being introduced to, all this uh, amazing 
music from uh, British uh, Isle folk music, and uh, and uh, aesthetically, it represents who I was at that time. And it's like the book Westermead is so much who I was then. It's not what I would write now, or it's not who I was when I say wrote uh, this or that other collection. So that that was a a good analogy. So you're, it's interesting that you're actually participating in two different Kickstarter campaigns at the same time, because while you were dealing with us, you were also dealing with uh, an incredible Kickstarter called uh, Autumn Cthulhu, Tales of yeah. Lovecraftian Horror. Correct. So, so tell me a little bit about how you got involved in that one as well. Uh, and it was a, a great honor to be the... Uh, involved in, in each of those in terms of uh, how Agatha was the uh, the sort of the bonus story. Um, well, it, that began with a, uh, a work of art, uh, which was done by a fellow, I always mess up his name, Anthony uh, or something Sumas, and I feel horrible, I don't remember his middle name. But this fellow did a piece of digital art of a, a, a naked woman. It's very elegant work, but she, it's, it's very mysterious. She's lying on a beach with her, her legs pointing out to sea, and her, her arms are out at her sides, almost in a crucified sort of a form. And there's this uh, stone temple almost rising up out of the, the ocean at her feet. And... Uh, uh, a fellow saw this, and, and gosh, I, I wish I had this in front of me. I'm terrible with names. But <laughs> an editor was saw this piece of work, and he wanted me and my brother Jeffrey to each come up with a, short, uh, a story based on this work of art. And so we, we said, sure, we'll do that. And uh, we came up with a title. Uh, I, I came up with a title. I said, let's... Let's give it some artistic title. How about something like the the sea of flesh and ash? And my brother Jeffrey said, "Cool." And uh, I, he said, "I want to write the sea of uh, flesh." And I said, "Great! I want to write one called the sea of ash." And so we, we went about our ways. We didn't discuss what we would do. We each wrote a novella based on this image. Came up with very different stories. Similar in, in that they each deal with a, a sort of uh, otherworldly New England, but uh, the the project sat on a shelf for a number of years, and so Jeffrey and I said, you know, we we wrote these novellas and we we were pleased with them. We'd like them to be seen, and so we gracefully uh, removed the stories from the the uh, uh, editor who had uh, originally inspired the, uh, the project, and, and he was fine with it. Uh, and Jeffrey had his uh, novella published in uh, one of his book collections, and uh, uh, I uh, actually... Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I've missed a whole, a whole uh, a step in the story. Um, we pulled the stories from the original project, and a publisher called Teradan Press uh, published the book. They actually put out The Sea of Flesh and Ash, and they, they did a lovely job publishing it, but it didn't get seen by a lot of people. 
And, you know, we felt strongly about the stories. And so Jeffrey had his uh, The Sea of uh, Flesh published in, in uh, one of his collections. And uh, I, I went to uh, the Necromaticon uh, in Providence, a, a big uh, convention. And uh, the uh, publisher, editor, Mike Davis, uh, picked up a copy that was left over from a book signing at, at the uh, convention, and he read it on the plane back to Texas, and he he loved uh, the the book, and he was uh, very excited about the Sea of Ash, and he approached me about uh, publishing it as a novella, and so he did go and publish it, the, the Sea of Ash, and uh, it became very popular in the Lovecraftian weird fiction circles, and uh, and so from there, uh, he uh, came up with an idea eventually of doing the Autumn Cthulhu because he's uh, a big fan of of uh, that type of fiction and of Autumn, and so I was invited to uh, write something for that. And what I wrote was a story called "The Night Is a Sea." And it's very much like the Sea of Ash in in its its tone and particulars, and uh, it's it's sort of based in the the fictional uh, New England that I wrote the Sea of Ash about. Got it. Whatever <coughs> I may have missed a point along the way. Whatever happened to that novella, the Sea of Ash? Uh, well, that's the, that's what uh, uh, Mike Davis published uh, uh, because Jeffrey's story uh, after uh, it's it's a little convoluted. After Terridan Press put out the Sea of Ash, it, it didn't really get seen by many people, and so Jeffrey's story was published in uh, a, a book, uh, a collection of his uh, from uh, Dark Renaissance books, and uh, Mike Davis. Uh, read The Sea of Ash and, and loved both stories, but he wanted to publish the, the, the Sea of Ash as a freestanding novella just on its own. And so that was the first book put out by Lovecraft Easy and Press. And uh, it, it, uh, it's done very well and, and uh, has uh, garnered uh, a lot of praise and, and such. That sounds and like so, a really, uh, really cool novella. Absolutely. So what, what's it like... Uh, Working, you know, working with you—you're really not. But being in the same anthology with your brother—is is there a, uh, I don't know, a, a kind of? I don't even know how to put this. I mean, he's, <laughs> you know, is is it like I can write a better story than you can, or we're writing so completely differently that we're just going to complement each other, or it's just really cool both being in the same book? Yes, basically, and we've been in, in published uh, in in the same publication going back to the the uh, days when there was such a proliferation of, of varied small press magazines. We we need to be in in something. We've been in a number of different uh, anthologies together, going back to the uh, the last the very uh, last uh, uh, the year's best horror that Carl Edward Wagner put out before he died, the last one that came out, 
mm-hmm. had a, a story each uh, by by Jeffrey and I, and and we've been in uh, collections uh, anthologies like Octoberland, and oh, there's been a a number of them, and it's it's just really neat that uh, we've each been able to uh, get into print uh, and 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 be in, in uh, books together. And we wrote a a, a book together. Um, it's uh, it's called Punk Town Shades of Gray, and it's set in his uh, uh, a fictional uh, nightmarish future city land of uh, Punk Town. And uh, we didn't uh, collaborate so much as we each wrote half the stories in the uh, in the collection. So it's kind of a collaboration by dropping everything in the bowl more than anything else. I've got this stuff, you've got that stuff. We're in the same talk, yes. we're writing in the same universe. Here you go. Exactly. It, it's set in his, uh, his uh, uh, in Punk Town, which is a, a very dark, dangerous, uh, futuristic, uh, sort of uh, e- eclectic world. Where there's elements of sci-fi. There's sometimes there are a lot of crafting elements. The, the imagination can just paint with so many colors in, in punk town. And uh, so it wasn't a collaboration in terms of us discussing what we were going to write. We each just individually wrote, I wrote uh, half the book and he wrote half the book and, and uh, we didn't, um, uh, you know, exchange any, any thoughts or plan. And we just each wrote in, in the, uh, the uh, sort of limitless confines and that sort of paradoxical, of uh, Punk Town. So, what's coming up in the near future? What what what's what new projects do you have on the board? I'm uh, well. I've been chipping away at a oh gosh, <laughs> sort of a, an overwhelming plate of projects. I've been working on a a very uh, Victorian ghost story for uh, an anthology from. Uh, 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 for a good friend who's published a, a number of my books, and I've been sort of working on that, uh, but I write incredibly slowly, and uh, I'm sort of behind on things. But uh, um, that's pretty much what I have going going now, and I have have some other things I've agreed to do. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, I recently agreed to write a, a punk town story, which I haven't written in, in years something based in the punk town for, for the future. One of the things that, that I've noticed is that uh, because, you know, I've worked with authors on sci-fi Saturday night now for ooh, five, six, seven years now, but I've, I've come to realize that there is a circadian rhythm to, that's individual to every single writer. There's a writer who can say, yeah, I'll have a story for you in a week. And four days later, he says, what do you think? There's Uh, another writer who says, I'll have a story for you in a month. And three months later says, oh, that story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like like slow motion procrastination. (laughs) I'm just awful. Well, you know, Dome, it depends a lot on particulars. Um, 
uh, your circumstances have had such an influence. For instance, um, before when I, uh, um, when I was, well, when I wasn't working it for a while, I would stay up all night and, and I'd be in the, the, the deep dark hours of night uh, with, uh, my, my headphones and, and music on and, and in my little creative space. And that I was very conducive to, to creating. Uh, presently, my situation isn't so so great for for doing that, and I think that has has much to do with uh, my productivity level at 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 this time, and the, and the amount of hours I'm working in my day job that uh, certainly has a, a a crucial impact on uh, how much I'm I'm producing. But but that's very true. Everyone has their own writing idiosyncrasies, I find. Whatever it is that makes it work for you, the kind of work that you do has a very specific feel to it. It has a very specific edge to it. And uh, it's really very different from a lot of stuff that's out there right now. And I'm really pleased that we were able to find a way to get you into my peculiar family. And I can't thank you enough for joining us tonight. Well, thank you so much. That's lovely to say, and, and it's uh, my honor to be on the program, and uh, a great honor also to be in, in the uh, very exciting project of My Peculiar Family. Well, thank you so much, and at this point in the show, uh, we're going to head over and do some news for a bit. If you want to hang around and, and join the General Gab Fest, feel free to do so. So let's head over to the news. Oh, an interesting week if if you consider Batman versus Superman interesting. It's the only thing anybody's talking about. Ugh. And mostly they're talking about how much they hated it. <clears throat> well, and and I finally realized that I I have absolutely no feelings <laughs> about this movie. <laughs> how did it's, that happen? Well, because some of my students were talking about it, and, and I just thought, you know, I don't really care at all. And, and you know, sometimes I've thought in the past few years, yeah, that sounds like a great movie. I'd like to go see that. And and even more recently with Daredevil I w- I, or Deadpool, I thought that, oh, looks really, that looks really good. I should probably see that. And all the while knowing that I will not go see it. <laughs> um, I'll wait until it comes out on, on, on video, and, and then I'll watch it at home. Um, but I really, really have no interest in Batman versus Superman at all, not because of the movie that it is. I think that I'm just done. I'm done with superhero comic really? book movies. I think I am. Um, I, I, I just I think that I've reached saturation maybe yeah yeah i i don't i am no longer interested in what is going on with marvel and dc comics in movie format anymore that's there i i think i've gotten a lot pickier about it to be honest with you uh there was a point at which i was just so disdainful of everything that dc came out with because it seemed to me that everything was like a rush job and of course, Zack Snyder did the exact opposite. It took four years. Uh, and, and Marvel seemed to have a plan, and I really liked the plan. 
But by the time we get to, I guess, Iron Man 4. The plan <clears throat> included Ant-Man. I liked Ant-Man. But not a Black Widow movie. Yeah. And I was annoyed at that, which is ridiculous. And if, if it's got to be Ant-Man and Wasp, why did it have to wait till the second movie to do that? You know, yeah. there's, there's all kinds of real problems with, with what's going on. There's a huge, huge, huge part of oversaturation, and I think that's really one of the best ways to uh, describe it. And I'm actually, you know what, I'm kind of sad that it hit during oversaturation because, like, I don't have many feelings about it. But everybody was like, Ben Affleck is Batman. That's going to be horrible. And I was kind of like, you know, I don't really think it's going to be that bad. I can see Ben Affleck doing a pretty good job. I, I don't think that my problem with it was ever Ben Affleck. And Henry Cavill is not a bad choice for Superman. I just, I think that this I whole actually, yeah. super dark thing that they're trying to do, like I get that Batman has always been a dark, superhero but there's always been like a humor aspect even if it was like a twisted dark it was a humor. very dark humor but it was always there yeah but absolutely. this but this we're so deep and we're taking ourselves so seriously it's like oh give me a break it's a snooze fest well i mean and, and you know yeah the the discussion of Superman's nature ha around this, surrounding this movie has been done to death. And so, you know, if you want to get into why Superman doesn't kill people and why this is a problem in this movie and all that, you can go read the myriad of angry nerd articles on the internet <laughs> that, that talk of, about that's that. That's for sure. Uh, but for me, I just... You know, I, I, I understand that this is partially the fact that I kind of bridge this um, weird divide between um, what is traditionally thought of as Generation X and what is traditionally thought of as the Millennials. And um, I know that generations are, are a construct and they don't actually exist. Yes, I've seen the Adam Driver video. But, uh, <laughs> like, the, the, what really comes... It, what it really comes down to me is this cool thing that I thought was really cool... Uh, because it was interesting and complicated and um, and varied and allowed all sorts of people to have a place to tell their stories and listen to stories and enjoy and celebrate the myriad of stories that were available through comic books and the stories that surround them is now no longer that place and I'm not interested in it anymore because of it. And uh, you, you know, we've we have talked a lot about all of the marginalization that happens when a um, when when these stories get appropriated by a new medium. Yeah, and, and that's a frustration for everybody involved. Uh, and but but when it really comes down to it, the the stories that I liked and loved the the ones that i both liked and loved are so far removed from the stories that we're getting now yep they are and and, and you know that's really i i mean i i have like one last ditch hope 
that Civil War is going to be something interesting, but I don't think it's going to be. I well, really- and I think that Marvel has started taking itself not seriously enough. Um, they realized that the jokes and the fan service paid off, and they're putting a lot of that in now, and they're not putting in a lot of complicated story anymore. Well, well the I think Winter was Soldier the- did a good was the last one that did a really good job of here's this complicated story. And everybody play along, yeah. Yeah. Here's a here's a complex enough story that you're engaged with enough lightness to make it not seem like we're taking ourselves too seriously. But I think that that balance was lost in Age of Ultron. I didn't see Ant-Man for personal reasons, <laughs> but I'm guessing that it's the same. Um Ant-Man is a 15-minute story that's told in an hour and a half. Yep. See, same problem. Right. Um, I just, I don't, I don't feel like these are, are the kind of stories that I enjoyed anymore. And, 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 you know, I, I, I know that that's jaded. Um, and and I also know that it's get off my lawn. Well, no, I think it's more of that, you know, this is my thing. I really like this thing. It's an appropriation and I like it. Part of the reason that I like it and I re- I'm, I'm self-aware enough to realize this, part of the reason that I like it is that not everyone likes it. Right. So, yeah. when, I, so when I've got high school students coming up to me and talking to me about you know, how they liked this and then they, they were really excited about the Deadpool movie and it's so funny and, and you know, this character is so interesting, I, I stop being interested in it. And I know that that's shallow you know, because uh, my band is better – the band I like is better than the band you like because no one knows about the band that I like yet and they're going to. I understand that. But gosh darn it if it isn't true. There's you know, a, like yeah. it, I went through the same thing with The Walking Dead and I went through the same thing with Game of Thrones. Like I really liked Walking Dead as a comic and when they were making the show I was so excited and I liked the show and then all of a sudden – it became massively popular, and I thought, whoa. Episode 3, Season 2, and but, I gave it away. <laughs> but, like, this is – and I still watch it. I still watch it because the, I believe that the people who are making that show are are trying to do interesting things. But it's no longer that neat thing that that I really enjoyed. Um, and the same thing with Game of Thrones, you know? Game of Thrones – uh, was a, a fascinating set of books with really kind of interesting things that people hadn't done in a while. Except the most recent one spent three pages describing river turtles that turned out not to be important to the story at all. <laughs> right. I hate okay, red. Java. I'll commiserate with you over the Lord of the Rings movies and also True Blood. Right, exactly. So, I- but I mean, look at it from my perspective. Which is like a hard left. No, seriously. You know, I grew up watching movies like uh, Them, the original one, in which, you know, it was a black and white movie on a green screen and these horrible ants were walking around. And oh, everybody that was movie st- was freaking terrifying. And you had right. to walk up to school uphill both ways in the snow. 
And my point is that, you know, I was watching these movies going, someday the technology is going to catch up with the storytelling to where they can really do this. Then it started to catch up. Then it got good. Then it got better. And now, it, like the latest Jurassic Park movie and the one before that, it's just overkill. Well, and the storytelling has stopped. Storytelling anymore. Yeah. It used to be you had to lean on storytelling and acting because they knew that the special effects were crap. And it stopped. There is so little good storytelling anymore. You know what and I'd that... actually like to see made into a movie, though? Because hmm. I feel like finally the special effects have caught up and it wouldn't have to be animated anymore is Gargoyles. Ooh. Speaking of that gap between Generation right. X and the Millennials and our kind of our media, I think that Gargoyles, because there is that good balance be between gravitas and humor, and I feel like they could do an interesting story without it being weighed down. Well, well I mean, or okay, just so whiz bang, you know, and just constantly float, throwing it into your face. Yeah. Well, it's just effects. that all the stories that I've really connected to recently are all being adapted to film and television. Yeah. You know, like uh, The Martian, I find this book, it's fantastic. I read it. It's great. My wife reads <laughs> the it. The book read was amazing. Yeah, and, absolutely. And then, and then it gets adapted into a movie. Super excited about the movie. The movie was actually pretty good. Yeah. But, but then, you know, Ready Player One. And then which, whatever his second book was, I forget what it was called. Uh, I read that too. Armada. All, Armada. All of these book, all of these books, all of these stories are being made into because there's this fervor in um, Hollywood and um, in television about making money. Because and man, do well, do and there's laziness in storytelling in Hollywood and not in writing. Right. That's and, why pe they're starting to lean more and more on, oh, what's a popular book? Well, let's make it into movies or TV because that's where all the good storytelling well, is. But again, we've had that discussion about, yes, The Martian was a good movie, but The Martian was a great story I never said and a great that. book. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was an okay movie, but it was a disappointment. I, in the I'm world. not agreeing I to that. I you don't have to. I I also I also say that it was a good movie, but like there, the the real thing is, and this is how I this is how I've I've come to view it. This is the the fervor around these stories is right. a money grab. Right. It's yeah. it's an it's a money grab. It's safe because they know that it's an established story that already has a fan base. It's safe because this these are the kinds of stories that promote heavy marketing and towards merchandise. These are the kinds of stories that uh, people will buy on DVD and go see in the theater and buy their kids the T-shirt. You know, the, the, that's what they're looking for. And, and so it's kind of refreshing to hear people like Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples saying Saga is not going to be a movie or a television show. It's not going to be that. Because Saga it is shouldn't be. Saga right. is a fantastic story. It's really, really good, well-written, beautifully illustrated, and it would be completely ruined taken into another media. 
I feel like Ready Player One is going to be a hideous movie. It, I'm I'm very afraid of what's going to happen. It entirely might be. I mean, just just to think about getting rights to all of that media. But against- oh, I know because all because part of what's important in that story is the references back yep. to the 80s yep. stuff. That's, that's- well, but see, at the same time, I thought that that would have been impossible for Guardians of the Galaxy as well, and they they pulled it off pretty well. They had the budget to pull they it off well because but they think, had I, leftover I, Avengers money. But, is it, but isn't Spielberg doing Ready Player One? Yeah, and it's going to yeah. be... He's got huge. the money. Uh, well, and Spielberg is one of the few people who I'm like, yes, he under- he would understand this source material, I feel like. I hope but so. Like, if you go back and you look at I'd like, like to remind you that this is the same man who took the guns out of E.T. Yeah, I know. Yeah, good point. I, I, when you... Yeah, but... Please say something look, complimentary about George Lucas next. <laughs> Why? Have you got to come I back was, to that one? I was actually going no, to No, I say, don't even need to say anything. You oh, that was... No. That was the news that I was looking for, but I didn't have a link for. Speaking of George Lucas, they're thinking of another Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. Not thinking of it. The they're last doing one another went one. so well. Because the last one went so well, and Harrison Ford is totally... I feel like it's going to be Indiana Jones, and where are my car keys? Why are you hiding them from me? I don't need to go for an eye test. You need to go for an eye test. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the gold-plated dentures. Indiana Jones and the search for more prudent juice. Actually, I was going to say something else that was complimentary about George Lucas, but it was about American Graffiti, which is a fantastic movie. Yeah. Um, And and, I mean, but the thing about American Graffiti was he didn't uh, acquire those rights. He made that movie uh, with songs that were not Americana, and he made them Americana because of that movie. Um. And and so I don't I don't really know I don't think that it's possible with Ready Player One and I don't think that they can again it's that it, it's this it's this money grab and it it just feels it's starting to feel a little too slick you know and way too disingenuous I so I don't know I, I I feel I I know that this has been a very jaded like outpouring from me but. It's just I don't I don't care anymore. The mo- the most exciting thing I you know what I haven't even been watching my television shows for weeks because I don't I'm not interested enough to go back and watch the Flash and the Arrow and um and so the only thing that I'm really excited about watching coming up is Mr. Robot. It's the only Which thing I, I want to really enjoy. Are you not watching uh, Lucifer? I'm not. I I I. I can't get you know what I've been watching this is this is tells you how, how jaded I am I've gone back to watching um, videos by Ray Mears he's a wilderness survival expert from Britain oh good lord okay is it like, is it like Bear Grylls only more civilized um, it's it actually Bear Grylls said just a couple of weeks ago that Ray Mears was way tougher than he is he's like older like you drink your own urine, you have to do it out of a teacup with your pinky out. <laughs> he doesn't do things like that because he's smart enough not to. Yeah. It's not because you not, could die. Bear Grylls is the jock the shock jock of the of the wilderness survival world. Ray Mears is the guy who actually knows everything. It's pretty cool. Oh Lord. That's scary. Yeah. 
That's <laughs> really scary. And actually, if you want to get into it for realsies, there's this guy named Morris Kohansky up in Canada. He's like got to be almost, almost on his way to the big, uh, you know, bushcraft place in the sky. But um, he's going to he be is, hanging with Steve Irwin soon. He's he's like just he's so old, man. He knows and hardcore. Everything everything anyway i don't know how we got to that (laughs) that's how jaded i am i'm not even able to sit down and watch the television shows i normally do it's funny because i've totally given up on on uh walking dead i don't think i've seen an episode in in two and a half three seasons or a full episode in any case i'll walk through and stop for five minutes in the living room and that's about it but I, I, Except I, that one that I told you to watch last season. That I actually did. Which you agreed was good, but I agree yeah. that the rest of the season was shaky <laughs> at best. But I'm, I'm really enjoying Lucifer because for a procedural, they're taking it from a very different angle. See, and I uh, don't mind a procedural as long as it's a good procedural. Right, but there haven't been a lot of good procedurals lately. Except like Criminal oh. Minds, which isn't... I can't watch that show. I yeah, just, that's because you're a wimp. Oh, bite me. Oh, my gosh. It's in the disgusting. last one, though. No, in the last one, the serial <laughs> killer was called the Sandman, and he dripped super glue in parents' eyes and sprinkled sand over them as they slept and then kidnapped their children. Okay, that no. See, what's your point? That's the point? That's disgusting. It was super creative. No, it was super... <laughs> Gross. You know who Disgusting. could do it's more both. interesting things with super glue? Oh. oh God, here we go. MacGyver. Or JJ Abrams. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> MacGyver is going to be Lucas Till, who played Havoc in X-Men. Right. Um and so they're actually making that movie they now? They're actually making this not uh it's not a movie, it's a reboot of the television show. There's oh. a pilot. Um, written by a bunch of guys, uh, and it's, I mean, it's it basically picks everything up from the very, be- from way early stuff, because Lucas Till looks like he's about 12 and a half. Um, so <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be a, a, an origin story, but you know, I mean, heck, I own all the MacGyver DVDs, so. Well, look at how good young Indiana Jones was. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I liked Young Indiana Jones. It was it was a fun series as long as you didn't think too much about it. Right, exactly. Which, uh, which is which is. I love the Young Indiana Jones books actually, and I'm now and like the fact that they took the fight that he and his father have over whether his nickname is Indiana or they named the dog Indiana. They took that so to heart in those books and it's in every single one and so it's my biggest part my biggest piece of indiana jones trivia Um, is that the origin of their disagreements was whether they named the dog indiana i'm debating on something and that is how i want to end the show and if everybody will just take a look (laughs) there's 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 a wonderful video that somebody put together and it's it's based on 93 seconds of just people giving other people the finger. Uh, 
And the more I watched this cut, the more I said, wow, we need this. We absolutely need this. So I think I'm going to end the show with, with a link to, guys, here's an attitude that we've grown weary of. So take 93 seconds, enjoy the show, and enjoy the video. So coming up in the next couple of weeks, gee, I wish I knew what it was. I have no idea, but I can tell you this, that in the next couple of weeks, coming up very shortly, our buddy Doug Jones will be there. He's coming up very soon. I wanted to let you know that Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic Con, Granite Con, BooksandBooze.com, Northeast Comic Con, and Comic Art House. Please visit ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Our intro music production was provided by Rob Watts. Find more of his creations at robwattsonline.com. Our outro music was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. Check out more of their grooves on lawrencemademecry.com. I want to thank our guest tonight, Scott Thomas, incredible writer and very nice guy. Scott, thank you. Come by anytime. Thanks for having me, Dom. It was a great time. I want to thank the gang for coming in tonight from the Act in Action Time Warp, the sweetheart of the soundboard, Priyana, and woman of words, Zombrarian. Thank you so much, ladies. Yep. Back from the shadows and into the cat and crunch again. Thank you, Java. 16.4 inches. That's incredible. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everyone.